start to put tension on my string drawback, I was like, okay, I'm gonna smoke. It's him. You can look at the horns when he's dead. I'm, I'm in, you know, in the zone. Let the arrow go is perfect. Uh, when they lose their front shoulders, yeah, you start, yeah, that's how you know. What is going on, everybody? Episode 110 of the White Cat Outdoors podcast. I'm your host, Nick Sobes, with special host, Tom Sobes. What do you mean special host? I'm here 99% Yeah, you're the special host because tonight we're going to be doing a lot of talking with you and about you. Um, If you noticed, the intro probably sounded better than usual, uh, mainly because it wasn't Frank that did it. Frank's not here tonight. Um, he's he's got the C, um, but he's he's doing good. Uh, we're just you know staying cautious, I guess if you will. Um, but he'll be Social back. Social distancing. Yeah, he'll be it. back next week. So for tonight, you're just going to be dealing with uh, me and Tom. And tonight we're gonna we got a few things to talk about. Tom, uh, he's got. It, what do you? Oh, you just tell me to turn it down. It's way easier than hand signals. Um, so tonight we have a uh, few topics on hand. And first one, Tom's got a new uh, new coyote rig. We're going to break down talk a little bit about that. And then now that deer season's over, Tom's starting to get more back into trapping. Um, Uncle Frank's getting into trapping too, but Tom's been trapping for quite a few years. And we're just going to talk a little bit about what he does, why he does it, and that kind of stuff. Um so yeah, tune in. Hope you guys enjoy it. So as Nick was saying, yeah, deer season's coming to an end. And now it's time for me to start focusing on predators, which actually kind of ties in to my deer hunting. Because, you know, you get rid of fox and coyotes, um, stuff like that. And it's going to increase your deer population, less predators out there eating fawns. Same thing with turkeys. You get rid of the coons, possums, skunks, fishers, all those nest raiders really going to help your turkey population so um, I do what I can to help those populations and trapping and predator hunting is a lot of fun as well so as Nick was saying I got a new coyote hunting set up and I'll tell you a little story as to yeah let's go through the, yeah right what made you do this so I had a bolt action 222 beautiful beautiful coyote gun ran uh the lumen shooter red lights in a you know red light headlamp scanner uh, for a lot of years and just this past year luke got me a infrared night vision setup so super stoked about that super what was the uh the reason for you wanting to switch over to infrared like what's the big difference between using like just a red light versus your infrared well everyone will tell you that predators can't see red light that's not true. They absolutely can see red light. The reason you use a red light is because it's a lot easier on their eyes than a bright white light, but they absolutely can see it. And, and that, something we've 
noticed over the years too is getting busted by coyotes oh, as soon yeah, as we flip absolutely. the lights on. Yeah. Well, even yeah, as soon as you turn your light onto a coyote, I've seen it happen where they're alert, they know that light's on them, and then they're gone. Um, I would say ninety percent of the time you're good with the red lights, depending on where you're hunting. How pressured they are. Yeah. If a coyote sees that red light, he might not think anything of it. And then if he keeps pursuing the call and gets downwind of you or sees you move, now he's going to associate that red light with a hunter. So the next time he sees that red light, he's out of there. He's not even going to waste his time. So now with out the red lights, I'm completely lightless, um, pitch black, lot less likely to be detected. Uh, so I'm super excited about it. And another thing you can really change your setups when using night vision and thermals versus a red light, because if you're using a red light, actually you're using that light as your camo. Um, because when you're shining that light in a predator's face, they can't see anything that's behind it. So you, once you make once you see those eyes, you want your light in those eyes the entire time so they can't see you. But what happens is if you're, you, most of the time you're out in the middle of a field when you're doing this. So you're not, you know, shining on branches, illuminating branches, creating shadows, stuff like that, that they're going to pick you off and not come into your call. So with a night vision setup, you can tuck yourself anywhere you want in a hedgerow on a fence line. Something, give yourself a little cover. You can get away with a little bit more movement. Less easy to get picked out. Um, so I'm super excited about that. So as I was saying, I was using a, it was a bolt action 222. And how this infrared works is there's a camera that just, it screws right on to the back of your scope. Um, then you mount an LED screen to the top of your scope. And your camera looks down the scope and displays that image on your LED screen. So I'm super excited, you know, go out into the field ready to try it. Beforehand, my younger brother, Luke, who got me the setups, like, hey, don't, don't you want to try it out? I'm like, well, why would I try it well, out and I mean, we waste looked at, shelves? Yeah, but we were using it, you know, just at the house out the back oh, window. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was holding it up, um, looking out the scope. I mean, you can see... 250 yards clear as day your crosshairs show up perfect on the screen it, it, i was even amazed at you know that 250 oh, even 300 to the back of the field you can see individual branches on trees oh yeah it's like crystal clear as if it were daytime just black and white yeah so i mean i, I tested it out made sure it worked and everything um but i never fired around through it because i figured what's the point the camera's at looking night when you don't know you know you're not hunting you know? yeah I'm, when in the camera's looking at the crosshairs like literally you put the crosshairs on what you want to hit and pull the trigger like like the gun sighted in it's not going to be any different with this camera i didn't adjust anything it's going to be fine so i never shot it so get out to my first field with this new setup and i'm walking back to the field get where i want to be and go to load a shell like i said it's a bolt action so go to rack the bolt back and it hits on the camera mount so now I'm like pissed. Like you can't physically rack. No, can't or, you can't cannot you cannot open load the bolt. your gun. Like can't even open the bolt a quarter of the way. Like there's absolutely no way I can get a shell in this gun. Yeah, that's super frustrating. Yes, very frustrating. <laughs> Not happy. So I go back, walk all the way back to my vehicle, 
take all my night vision off, put my red lights back on, and you're lucky up. you had that stuff with you. I'm, I'm I didn't really like. Why would you have your red lights with you? Because I had a buddy come with me, and I thought he was bringing a gun. Oh, and so you were just I gonna... was going to throw it on there. Um, turns out he didn't bring his gun. He was just sitting with me, so I luckily still had it in the Jeep. So get back to the Jeep, take all my night vision off, put the, the red lights back on, walk back out there, get the call set up. And another piece of equipment I got is a thermal scanner. And basically what I use that for is it's obviously middle of the night when you're hunting coyotes. Um, and I don't want to be constantly scanning the field with my infrared. I don't want to be pointing my gun all over the place looking on that little LED screen um, that only shows a field of view. As big as your scope. As big as your scope, yeah. yeah. So I got this thermal monocular, and basically it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a monocular that shows thermals. So anything that's warm is going to light up. So Talk a little bit about the capabilities of that, um, like its range, what you can identify at certain yardages, that kind of stuff. Because was, I was amazed at what this thing can do. So at 500 yards, you'll be able to pick up. It detects heat. It detects heat, yeah. Okay. So if, they're, if I'm hunting, I mean, I don't really even think we have fields around here that are long enough and flat enough. Yeah, long enough, yes, but flat enough. I Not from the ground, I don't think. Not Yeah, if there is, it's very few. Yeah, you're going to have to be elevated up in a tree stand um, to see Because even some yards. of them places we've gone with Frank, I, I mean, there's fields that are that big, but I don't think you can see the whole thing no. from one point. Um, so, yeah, at 500 yards, it'll detect heat. And then within 200 yards, it you, you'll be able to identify what kind of animal it is, whether it's a fox, coyote. I don't know if you'll be able to identify a possum or a raccoon. They look pretty much the same. Yeah, it'll, I mean, you're going to be able to notice that it's a smaller critter than Yeah, probably a possum, raccoon, skunk. But, yeah, you'll definitely be able to tell the difference between a deer, a coyote, a fox, and then a small critter, small squirrel. Critter. Yeah, stuff like that. So, and I tell you what, it's awesome. My very first time using it, um, set the call out, it started calling, and within six, seven minutes, I had a pair of coyotes come out, and I'm watching them, and you can see clear as day, you can see their tail coming, kind of coming up, and how you can see their body motion, how they're like, what's the, not, I guess, bounding, bouncing. Galloping, or... Prancing, I, I don't know exactly. Yeah, how how a coy- whatever you want to call a coyote run across the field, and then I could see him stop and sit and kind of looking at the call, and then get back up. And then as they got closer, I could see him, you know, putting the sneak on where they kind of lower their shoulders and nose to the ground and just start moving real slow. So I let him get into about eighty yards and uh, take my eyes off the thermal monocular and go over flip on my red light and the problem I ran into is when you're looking at one bright screen and then you go to almost darkness it takes your eyes a little while to adjust so as I said I had to scrap the infrared lights go back to the red lights you probably flip the red light on right away yeah and it flip tips the red them off well no you have 
I was I was running my light so dim because I knew. Yeah, but I'm I, still saying it. You probably flipped it on right away, and it yeah. took you too long to. Yeah. So, like I said, I was looking through the thermal monocular, take that away, and now I'm just using this faint red light, and I couldn't see anything. Um, it just it took my eyes too long to adjust from very bright to very dark. Couldn't see anything. Um, by the time my eyes adjusted, I could finally see the coyotes clear through the scope, but by that time they were already circled all the way downwind and were heading off back to the woods, couldn't get a shot. So now I'm pissed. Like everything worked out beautifully. Had I had my infrared, it would have been a matter of setting my monocular down, flipping my infrared light on, and now I'm looking from one bright screen to another bright screen. Eyes don't have to adjust. Would have been, I mean, 80 yards. They were literally stopped sitting there. It would have been a chip shot. So I'm like, that will never happen again. So next day, I wake up Saturday morning, find so, myself. So you're trying to figure out what you can do to make sure this never happens again, basically, right? Yes, absolutely. So I got to find something that either fix this or you basically you're looking for a solution yeah. to make sure you never deal with that again. Yeah. Because so, I mean, you work so hard to create those opportunities in any aspect of hunting or fishing, or whatever. You work so hard to get that opportunity, and it sucks when equipment is your problem. Yes. Yeah, I was pissed, but it was it was really cool. The learning uh, experience. Yeah, in the thermal monocular worked out beautifully. <coughs> I. Yeah, that was awesome watching those coyotes come in across <coughs> the field like that. So that worked really well. Uh, the mix of the thermals in the red light. Not so well. So I really wanted to be able to use thermals and night vision. And what was holding me up was on this bolt-action rifle, the way the camera mounts, I could not uh, get it to open up to where I could put a shell in. So I'm thinking I need to go either semi-auto or lever-action. And so I started thinking some more. Well, I did see two coyotes. A lot of the times, you know, especially this time of year, they're going to be running in pairs. I'd like to be able to get two shots off real quick. Um, you're going to be a lot quicker, obviously, with an auto loader versus a lever action. So I'm now I'm leaning towards that. Finally, make my mind up. In the course of, I mean, this isn't days that you're, this is all that morning because you're. Well, yeah, Friday night into Saturday morning. Yeah. Um, kind of slept on it yeah and i came to the conclusion i'm going with a semi-auto and now i gotta think what caliber so i start doing some research and find that the best all-around coyote predator hunting caliber they recommend is a 223 so oh, and it's readily available too i think yeah, that very is really available. important especially in these times so yeah and then i get to thinking so i want a semi-auto 223 and it just clicks ar so i decide i'm going to call up keystone which is a local gun shop to our area they're yeah. um they're a buy sell and trade uh gun shop right here in, in northwest pennsylvania um that's tom and i do all of our gun sales through them yeah so I'll call up keystone ask what they have uh, and they said we got a bunch come down take a look um so I go down there and I kind of explain, you know, what I'm looking to do, um, why I want this gun. 
and he shows me this Sig Sauer that really caught my eye. And the what's nice about these ARs is how versatile they are with the different attachments and stuff you can put on them. And as far as coyote hunting goes, that's well, I, I guess, ideal. Yeah, I guess it's kind of important for to lay out that you and I um, were totally unfamiliar with like the AR world. Yeah. You know, we've since we were ten years old, uh, we've always been bolt action rifles. Uh, that's just what we've always been used to. And never strayed from that. That's all of our guns. That's what we have. Um, so it was neat. Uh, Keystones, you know, I'm sure other gun shops are like this, but it's when you go to a big box store, um, like your sportsman's warehouse or something, you run into guys at the gun counter that don't really know what they're selling. But when you go to these smaller gun shops, like Tom said, he was able to go in and explain, this is what I want to do with a gun. And then they can kind of point you in the right direction. Yeah, so I ended up settling on that Sig Sauer. Uh, came with a scope, which is actually pretty cool. Um, it's a scope that actually it's battery powered, and it um, has there's an app you can download for this specific scope, um, and the scope pairs with the gun. So you download this app, and you can click. Um, they have every caliber, or not every caliber, every uh, load of. 223 um on this app and you click you know i'm shooting this brand with 55 grains or whatever yeah with yeah this grain bullet this many grains of powder um and then it'll tell you if you're zeroed at 100 what your drop is at 200 300 400 that's a really cool feature yeah and it's and then it's got on the scope it's got your you know your regular crosshairs and it's got the little hash marks underneath it for 200 300 400 and so on so it's pretty cool. Um, really, the fields I'm hunting, at least for right now, um, I don't think I'm really ever going to be shooting more than one, 200 yards. No. Um, but well, obviously I'm going to have to take a look at the firearm regulations before I do this uh, with this gun. But I would really like to go out west, um, like out Kansas where we were turkey hunting. Yeah, Tom and I, yeah, when we went to Kansas, every single night we were getting surrounded by coyotes. I mean, we would yeah. see half a dozen coyotes out in the field just trying to leave from turkey hunting because you could hunt all day out there and it, every single day. Was and there nuts. were some monster fields out there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, where two, 300 yards is nothing. Um, but big open fields with these thick, nasty crick bottoms and just coyotes everywhere. So I'd really like, I think that would be an awesome trip. Just yeah, because I mean, it's all we hunted was public land. Uh, I think that would be awesome just to go out there, spend a week, and hunt coyotes all over the public land. I wonder if, like, if they're like us, where they're it's open season on them, we could go out there during turkey season, turkey hunt throughout the day, go in and kill turkeys at night or coyotes at night. Yeah, that would be sweet. We'll have to look into it. Yeah, so that's my new setup. Um, unfortunately, I really haven't been able to take it out yet um we've had sub-zero weather um and technology as far as ir lights electronic calls thermal scanners um doesn't really work in sub-zero weather yeah like our you know typically like tom even like the range on your calls drops way down like typically the call we bought has i think like an 80 yard uh range for their bluetooth remote and with these sub-zero temperatures, I think you said, what, like 20 yards was as far as you could get back yeah, from it? Yeah, it sounded like shit. 
Yeah. It was bad. It sounded literally like a robot, like not realistic at all. Um, so I haven't really I've been waiting for a warm front, you know, some upper teens to. Yeah, that's what we're calling a warm front right now, too. Yeah, something to get out there. and. I mean, it's been single digits for like at least two weeks. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm ready to get this out there. Um, I think it's going to be a total game changer, this new setup I have. I'm really looking forward to it. And you, you are, I mean, you are obviously have it sighted and everything. It is oh, yeah. freaking dead on. It's nice. Yeah, right on the money at a hundred yards. Um, I did actually, I didn't shoot with the infrared, but I did, you know, set it up and make sure that my bolt can open and close, unload and load shells and everything. Um, so I'm super excited about all that. Good deal. So stay tuned, um, for some coyote hunt updates. Should be seeing some pictures of me holding some dogs here. I hope so. Relatively soon. Good deal. Well, good. That was. I'm glad you upgraded your guns. That's. It's gonna be a lot of fun, and it's inspired me to maybe start saving some money on the side for one. Um, I guess we'll, that'll. We'll kind of hard transition into uh, some trapping uh, towards the end well, of the. It's not that hard of a transition. Nah, a little you know, bit. Predator control. Yeah, I mean, I guess how you predatory a little bit but i guess what i was going to segue into is towards um i don't know if we mentioned it on here um, or not but like towards the end of deer season into our fisher season uh we noticed a family of beavers has moved into the farm oh yes and yeah i I noticed this setting the fisher traps yeah so i mean this is you know we've been hunting this farm for two years we haven't had beavers now we do have beavers but the problem is where these beavers are at and what they're starting to dam up is our premier bedding. Um, and we can't have that. We cannot, we can't put our bedding underwater. No, that's the issue we had in climber that we took care of. Yeah. So I guess, um, it's taken care of again. Yeah. So I guess we'll just kind of run through a little bit of, um, our tactics for it. You know, typically we're either using three thirty conibears bears or what, I don't know what size foot traps, um, Five or six or something. No, just like uh, I think, oh, you're gonna make me sound stupid. Um, I use like what are the MB five fifties? Okay. Um, which it's pretty much what I use for all the trapping I do, other than uh, raccoons. Gotcha. Um, but I, I you know, you'll catch beaver, fox, and those are coyotes. Those traps are I at least from what we've seen are way better than your Dukes and Victors. Yes. Um. One feature that they they have that the rest of them didn't is that click um, on the on the pan. And if anybody that's if you're not familiar with trapping uh, foot traps, they have basically most of them nowadays have two springs, one on each side, and then there's a, a pan in the center that you set with a little pin. And for years, Tom and I used these Dukes and Victors, and you basically would set that pan, and it's kind of like a a guessing game, if you will, trying to make sure that the pin set. So it's not too heavy, but if you get it too light, sometimes it, it trips itself. But with these the MB550s, there's like a click. And I don't know if you can explain it a little bit better than I can. But. Yeah, basically you just, you know, you put your pin underneath the pan and, you know, you push it down. And just about when it gets flat with the ground, you'll hear a little click and you'll actually feel it too. And now you know that trap is set on a hair trigger. So the next time that pan moves 
the traps going off because when you're catching fox and coyotes especially um, if you have a duke or a victor or something that doesn't have that set um, that fox or coyote when they set their foot down to investigate your dirt hole or whatever set you're making they are so tenderfoot when they're setting it down if they feel that pan shift just a little bit they're gonna dig your trap up and flip it over every single time and then eat your bait yeah um <laughs> yeah it has to be absolutely rock solid um no movement so with that set um you hear that click and now you know the next time that pan moves that trap's going off yeah um but we use those more for beaver that comes into play with uh drown bags yeah I don't, we don't really do any like dry land it's all basically we try and the drown bags work really well for um like mudslides mudslides scent mounds i do a lot of scent mounds yeah um but so basically when i'm trapping beavers um I, it's going to be tough for me right now because they're not really established um yet there's no dam there's no hut um there's just a lot of signs of them building the dams and huts um and beavers are nice and easy to trap because of how much sign they leave. You'll know exactly where they're at, whether you'll find fresh trees chewed down, fresh uh, chips of bark. You'll be able to see mudslides coming in and out of the bank where they have it. Narrow waterways coming off the dam. Yeah. Um, if there's you know two separate ponds in a creek connecting the two of them, you know they're coming up and down. Yeah, they that. don't. They do not travel on land if there's water. Yeah, in uh, with the ability to use water, I guess. So with this piece that I'm getting ready to trap, um, it's really just um, crick. Uh, there's no pond yet. Uh, that's what we're trying to prevent. Is this pond? We so, want to set the precedent now that they're not welcome, and you actually can. Um, beavers will learn that it's not worth the hassle where they're at. I don't know. Like we've oh, seen absolutely. that, like if you, especially like a, a new family of beavers that are moving in, if you get in there right away and pressure them, trap a few of them out, they'll realize that it's, it's too much, you know, and they will move on. Yeah. So what I'm going to be focusing on early on um, is narrow points in this crick, because I would say on average, the crick's probably, what, 10 feet across? Yeah-ish. Yeah, it's a pretty good stream that runs through there. Yeah, and it's it's obviously very tough to trap the entire width of a crick. Especially when you can only have three sticks. Yeah. Uh, and your anchors are considered a stick, so... Yeah, um, so one trap, they're probably maybe a foot long or a foot wide themselves, if that... Yeah, I would, yeah, somewhere in that 10 to 12 range. Yeah, so you got one 10-inch trap to cover a 10-foot wide crick. Um, it's going to be very difficult. So I'm going to try and find um, some pinches where it kind of narrows down or goes around a bend. Um, maybe there's an eddy or something that creates a, just some sort of pinch point down to where I can cover the majority of that area with my set. Um, how I like to make my sets is like Nick said, you can only use, um, three sticks, three guide sticks. And one stick I will use every single time is the dive stick. And how that works is a beaver will only swim, 
This is key right here. I was yeah. going to say it if you didn't, but. A beaver will only swim on top of the water or down on the bottom. They will never swim through the middle of the water column. So what I do is I take one of my three guide sticks and lay it on top of the creek, um, just so it's barely touching the top of the water. Lay it, you know, bank to bank, barely dipping into the water. And what that'll do is that beaver will be swimming down the creek and it'll see that stick up there and it'll know, okay, I can't pass through there. I got to go down to the bottom, swim underneath it. So it's going to push that beaver down to the bottom and that's where I have my trap. And then my other two sticks I use, I use kind of to obviously steady the trap, keep it upright, and then funnel the beaver to that trap. Um, Cause if there, if there's an open lane, it's not going to swim through brush. Yeah. Um, so I'll try and get a stick with, you know, a couple branches, a couple things hanging off of it um, and use that to, you know, guide the beaver down to my trap. Kind of create like a funnel. Yeah, exactly. Try and create a funnel. Um, so now um, that funnel is going to create a, or push them down to where my trap is and the dive stick's going to push them down to the bottom. And it, I've had a lot of success with it. Um, so, yeah. That's the probably the I would say that's our ninety most I would say at least ninety percent. Um, yeah, um, is basic yeah waterways because I know up in Climber we had um, there's a ton of little streams and they're you know those ones are only like two foot wide. Yeah, you can cover that with one trap easy. Easy. Yeah, so I think what we're gonna have to do is like you said find you know little pinch points within that stream that we know that they're using. Um, find a scent mound or something like that that we can, like Tom said, they leave so much um, sign of where they're at. So hopefully we can get that under control ASAP. Yeah, yeah. The only issue right now is everything's under ice. And about over two foot of snow. Yeah, so. Uh, but we have until, what, mid-March or end of March or something? Yeah, yeah. I think- it's sometime in March, so. Yeah, I think you do it, get a couple weeks in March. It's either the 18th or like the end of March. I can't remember. Sometime in March. Yeah. So usually, I think it's the it, end of March, and then it's like mid December is when it started. It's always yeah, right after Christmas. But it's been under snow basically since the beginning of January. Yeah. So. Which that makes it tough. Um, I know one year you and I located a lot of places with like orange ribbon before the snow fell, but right now it's especially with a new area for the beavers, we don't know enough to really get in there on the snow. No, and I didn't spend a whole lot of time scouting it out just solely because I was focused on fisher trapping. I kind of just saw, oh, wow, there's a lot of beaver sign here. I'm going to have to do something about this. But I didn't spend the afternoon trying to figure them out like I should have or like we've done up in Climber. Yeah. Um, yeah, we have those beavers pretty well figured out up there. And under control. I, up yeah. there, we actually like having a little bit of beaver habitat. but Oh, yeah. Beavers when, are definitely great. Um, they create uh, pinch points, obviously. Yeah. Just the only I, problem we have with where they're at at the farm is it goes through our bedding. And we can't have our bedding flooded because that's our only bedding. 
Yeah. So, any other trapping you're planning on doing this year, or is it mainly? No, we already, um, you know, went over my fisher. Um, I don't really get into the coon trapping. Um, you see, we kind of got I out of that years to. ago. Um, when me and Nick got into coon hunting with my dogs, um, we had this deal with this guy. Um, we would bring him raccoons still on the carcass, um, like not even skinned out, just frozen solid raccoons, and he'd give us 20 bucks. Um, last coon I sold. Uh, to the same guy. Same guy, skinned out. Um, and fleshed. And fleshed. I got like two bucks for. So, so the prices are just way down, and it's it's not worth the time anymore. You and I used to, like high school, we used to make quite a bit of money just running dogs. Um, but the thing with raccoons is if you're trapping fox, which I do, if you're trapping coyote, which I do, if you're trapping fishers, you're going to catch fox, or you're, I mean, you're going to catch raccoons, you're going to catch possums, and you're going to catch skunks. There's absolutely nothing you can do to keep those nestrators out of your sets. And if there is something you can do that I don't know about, please leave it in the comments because... I'll give you five bucks. Yeah, I, w I would love to know if you have a trick to keep coons and possums out of your coyote and fox sets. Are you saying you prefer to keep the skunks coming to your set? No, skunks too. Actually, I've never caught a skunk knock on wood. I was about to say, yeah, knock on some wood. That's yeah. one thing we, you and I, we've never caught a skunk. Yeah, I'm very thankful for it. I don't know yeah. what I would do. We've caught snapping turtles and ducks and crows and stuff. It's just... It's nature of the beast. Yep. But I, I would have liked to do some fox and coyote trapping. Um but it's just tough because the fall would be the easiest time. But in the fall, I'm deer hunting. I don't have time to be setting coyote fox traps and checking them every single day. If I have a spare minute in the fall, I'm in the woods. Um, so they're in season right now. And if I can get some sets in the wintertime, I do. Um, but I'm not. Right now, we have realistically like three feet of snow. And I'm not trudging through three feet of snow digging out these huge areas to put my traps and then have them get covered in snow the next day like it's, it's been snowing almost every day so yeah. it's just it's a pain yeah so if we get a break in the weather um i definitely like to get some fox and coyote traps out there uh it's not looking very promising though but beaver goes that's like why you hooked yourself up with a new gun yeah you can hunt them. yeah absolutely um but yeah, like Nick said, beaver goes all the way to March. So we should have some warmer weather, melt some of this snow, um, get that taken care of, which I'm really looking forward to because I love beaver trapping. I love trapping in general. It's just very time-consuming and a lot of work. Yeah. Well, good. Thanks for uh, meeting with us tonight, Tommy. Oh, yeah, no problem. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. I uh, hope you guys are staying warm with all this weather. Um, and if you're... If you're into trapping, good luck. Um, ice fishing season's right around the corner, too, if you're in the north. Um, but whatever it is, make sure you guys are all still getting outside.